The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Robot. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. I actually, and I should probably introduce the guy with the leaf blower outside who just yeah. comes and goes and goes and comes and... Probably an avid cyclist. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing for that. He's an avid something. Uh, yeah. Blower of things. He was at my front door earlier blowing dust under the front stoop. Yeah. 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 He really blows. (laughs) Uh, how was your Memorial Day weekend, dude? Um, mine was great. It poured rain, uh, all three days, but I rode, I ran, I read books. I spent time with my people, you know, no complaints. I sort of envy you that we are desperately in need of. Yeah. 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 Uh, before I said it, I thought to myself, don't complain about rain to the people who never get rain. That was probably a good move. Yeah. 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 We Uh, needed it. We needed it. I like the rain. You know, we garden here at my house. Nice. Uh, Yeah. Circle of life, water, water and rain is the giver of all life, right? Mm. Life is not possible without it. So it's, it would be churlish to complain. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that and pizza. Um, Mm. yeah. So, well, since we didn't have any rain whatsoever, I spent most of the weekend at the pool with my boys. Right. Right. And I got a fair amount of reading done. Oh, good. Our pool here is not heated. Uh, and because it gets down into the fifties and sixties at night, uh, our pool when it's warm is maybe, I don't know, 80 degrees. Like, you know, to your skin cold. It's funny that you would say that because. Well, it's cooler me, than the temperature of your skin. So sure. As a you feel that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm we there's my neighbor has a pool um, and and which I am. Uh, I have usage privileges and it's very seldom over 70 degrees. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that temperature. But we've gone. I mean. We've talked a lot about how I feel about coldness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both chapter and verse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to bring it up again in a minute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, why don't we let you roll right into that? Yeah. I, well, this week I wanted to just check on three things. I feel like we have these conversations every week and I leave sort of trailing threads. So everything I'm going to say today is stuff we've talked about in previous podcasts and I'm just going to maybe catch up the story. So it's so like the, a three-part epilogue? Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's some real uh, George R.R. R. Martin stuff. Um, so I just wanted to check in on three things. The first one is the weather. Mm. Uh, the second one is riding with my wife, uh, which I've mm-hmm. written, written about on the site this week. Mm-hmm. And the third one is trying to buy a new bike for my 16-year-old son. Well, right, yes. Um, I don't know... Yeah, I don't need to go too deeply into any of them, but these are the big ticket items in my cycling life this week. And I just thought an iteration on them would be good. Um, So first, the weather. Last week, I spun a whole tale of woe about how it was hot for that big gravel ride we did Mm -hmm. in New Hampshire and how I, you know, was sort of verging on heat exhaustion. And I, you know, I don't really mind. I figured we're just okay. now we're going to be in the hot part of the year. And New England is like that, like sort of usually the, the switch flips and you go from mild to hot uh, with, yeah. with, without a great transition. The sucker punch um, we got <laughs> this week was that um, Saturday morning, first day of the Memorial Day weekend, uh, we got... Temperatures in the middle 40s with heavy rain. 
And it had been 93 days earlier. So Mm -hmm. I um, the crazy thing is I had I actually had a great ride Saturday, uh, even though I rolled home uh, with my hands kind of on the verge of numbness and my legs turning bright red from sort of wind driven rain exposure. Um, But Mm. for me, you know, there's something very cathartic about a ride like that. Uh, and the cold doesn't bother me. Like I looked down and my legs were red and mm-hmm. I felt I felt like, oh, yeah, those are a little stingy, but it doesn't really bother me. Um, and I realized, like, for most folks, that would be a real sh- shitty ride, you know, pouring rain, middle 40s, windy. Um, but I would take that over 90 degrees every day of the week. Yeah, I see your point. I mean, the funny thing is, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you, but my my own personal um, self-restraint system, um, I'm more likely to roll out on the 90 degree day and just go, OK, well, it's hot. OK, fine. And I'll I'll roll right. on out. Getting me out the door. Say 45 degrees in rain, it's very hard to get me out the door for that. But ultimately, the strange part, and maybe this is why I need more counseling in my life, I will actually have a better time on the 45 degrees and rainy day than I would yeah. on the 90 hot and dry and ultra sunny. Yeah. On a, yeah. I think when it's cold like that, I just don't care about anything. You know, I'm just it sort of strips you down, Mm. you know, like you first you leave and you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable uh, and I'm getting wet. But, you know, you sort of settle in and get comfortable with it and then you're as wet as you can get. Right. Like you've reached maximum uh, uh, wet saturation, saturation. (laughs) Right. I wanted to say the phrase terminal velocity, and I'm not sure why, but um, yeah, you're sort of as wet as you're going to get. And then I just I feel this great sense of freedom. Like literally, if my hands hadn't been kind of like losing function, I would have kept riding. I thought about it. I was like cruising back towards home. I was like, maybe I'll take another loop out this way. Well, I can't really feel my hands. Maybe I should go home. (laughs) Um, And I. Even the night before, I looked at the weather forecast, as you do, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be 45 and rainy. Yeah, I'm going to hit that. Like, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to do that. Whereas if it was going to be 90, mm-hmm. I, I would have been like, mm, maybe not. And this is actually this presents um, a good segue for talking about riding with my wife, because at the time I left Saturday morning, she was climbing on the trainer to do to do an hour's worth of um, basement pedaling. OK. Yeah. She felt like she needed to ride, you know, to pedal, I guess. But the basement was more attractive to her than riding through the car wash with me. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. I had the thought of riding for an hour in my basement and I've done it in my life. Like when I broke my collarbone and couldn't properly ride, I would sit in the basement and pedal yep. because otherwise insanity. But on a day where I'm fully functional, even if it's raining or snowing or, or whatever, I'm just riding while sitting still. I can't make that work in my small brain. The wife and I did manage to ride together one day last week, and it was just as instructive as ever. Um, maybe saw <laughs> some folks saw my useless review of the drug ecstasy that went up on the site yesterday. The underlying joke being that it would take some kind of love drug to get her to like me when we're both on bikes. <laughs> and I'll reiterate what I said in the piece that I have a very happy marriage. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we are... Uh, We get along very well. We're very content with each other. But if you add bikes, oof, that is just just a rough spot to be. And it's Mm. not even the case. It's not even the case that one of us is is like. You know, I can always tell when a couple is having a bad ride because the the one partner is like 40 meters in front of the other one. That one's easy to tell. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we, we don't have that. She's strong. You know, she, uh, 
she's probably stronger than me in a lot of ways. She can pedal, but most of her pedaling is stationary. So like either as a spin instructor or on the trainer, uh, when she does ride, it's on the road. And so last week, my idea to take her on what I thought was a chill mountain bike ride. Ah, possibly, <laughs> plot complication. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> possibly a misbegotten idea. Bad premise. I'd be very curious to hear from any listeners who struggled to find that sort of velo compatibility with their significant other and overcame it. I'd love to hear some feedback on that because I've tried and I've tried and I'm going to keep trying. Um, Cause ultimately, and this is, so we were out mountain biking and it wasn't going very well. Um, I, I need to, I need to stop and ask for a, a couple more details here. Tell me about the mountain bike that she was on versus the one you were on. Um, How many years older is hers than yours? Uh, only a couple. They're both sevens. Um, oh, okay. So both very nice bikes. Uh-huh. Um, the, the issue, which I feel the, the, the bugs under the rock you've just turned over, mm-hmm. I think are that the discs on her bike, the rotors were squeaking when she hit the brakes. Uh, mm-hmm. And she didn't like that. Okay. And who does? Who does like a loud like a scronking disc brake. Nobody likes that. So that was happening. The brakes were working just fine. They were just loud. Uh-huh. And so she didn't like that. And that's my fault because I hadn't cleaned or aligned the rotors. Now um, you live in a place with a lot of roots and a lot of rock. What size wheels does she have? She has 650 Vs. Okay. Okay. So at least it's not 26. No, no, no. Um, and she even remarked that, um, you know, the bike will roll over everything that we put ourselves in front of that. That's not, you know, that wasn't the issue. Okay. Um, you know, there are other issues. I think they, they stem mostly from me being an awful human and also, um, you know, she rides a lot and she's strong, but she doesn't have the bike handling skills that I have, not because I'm clever or not because I have got, I'm God's gift to bike handling, but just because I've done it an awful lot over a long period of time. And actually you mentioned 26 inch wheels. I have this, um, I have this thing that I trot out occasionally where I believe that if you grew up riding 26 inch wheels, you were forced to develop skills, mm-hmm. mountain bike skills. Mm-hmm that maybe you don't need that aren't quite as urgent on a 29 inch wheel. A 29er will roll over an awful lot of stuff that a 26 maybe wants to be maneuvered through. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I thought it was a pretty chill ride. She wasn't quite there. Uh, There was no, there were no real problems. And I think, you know, in part because I love mountain biking so much, she was afraid that she was disappointing me. By moving slowly or whatever. And so we had to, we had a check in at some point. And I, you know, I said, I don't care at all how fast we go or how well you do. I don't have any, I don't care. This is you and me out in the world, out in the woods together, which is all I want. That's all I want. And things, things got better after that reset. Um, she implied that maybe, again in the future we might try this thing but i would be curious mm-hmm. to hear from people and i know that there's folks out there like we have a great we ran a great piece from bill cass about uh his wife getting an e-bike that sort of trued up their cycling relationship yeah yeah uh and we're gonna have them check in uh further uh in the future beautiful yeah speaking of e-bikes that is a great segue to talking about a new bike for my son. Okay. Um, turns out he's 5'11", uh, which is uh, probably an inch and a half taller than me, which is incredibly rude. Um, <laughs> but it's a very average height for uh, a male human. And so there are no bikes 
around. I did finally, you, you were, you were, you pressed me um, about whether I would be conversing with him about what bike I was going to get him. Mm -hmm. And I did, I did um, eventually do that and determined, I kind of thought like, this is, this is the point where we make the jump to drop bars. Oh, we live at the top of a steep hill. Uh, The major complaint my kids have about riding bikes is that to go down, you have to come back up. Mm -hmm. And that's just the worst thing ever. And, you know, to be fair to them, it's a steep, it's a long, steep hill. So um, I abandoned looking for drop bar bikes for him because he said, no, 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 I want a flat bar bike. Um, Although I did dally in, um, you know, seeking maybe a 55 centimeter road frame that I could turn into a flat bar road bike for him. Hmm. Um, but my latest idea is an e-bike. Mm-hmm. Um, he can ride my mountain bike. Um, so we have him covered there, but uh, an e-bike to get, you know, to school and to various other things. That's my latest, my latest thought. So Again, if listeners have um, ideas on good, I've read an awful lot of reviews and I have some leads, but uh, yeah, thinking about bringing, and I've been very anti-e-bike, which is just a mark of my own narrow-mindedness, but I have been anti-e-bike because my thinking is, of course, sort of draconian in the sense that I think once people stop pedaling, they just won't ever start again. I mean, I understand how people can arrive at that. Yeah. But that's a narrow, that's a narrow prism through which to view the usefulness of an e-bike. Well, I think mostly it's just incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. I was wrong. (laughs) I was wrong. Everyone. (laughs) They know. Now I'm, I'm going to ask again, you know, a yeah. little, little, uh, couple data points here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, e-bikes are coming in, uh, you know, kind of four buckets. Mm-hmm. You've got, you've got the commuter style, mm-hmm. you've got e-mountain bikes, yep. you've got cargo bikes and the like. And right. then you've got some road bikes out there. Yep. Yep. To my knowledge, that's the smallest of the various buckets. Yep. Are you thinking standard sort of e-commuter bike? I am. I am. So as with any bike you buy for, as with anything you buy for a teenaged person, mm-hmm. um, the likelihood of them adopting and using it is not as high as with an adult who's spending their own money and being thoughtful about what, what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have my eye, as I look at these things, I have my eye on multiple humans and multiple usage. So for example, the bike that I is sort of leading, or I should say was leading the way for me is kind of a cool looking flat bar commuter bike mm-hmm. the issue that a lot of e-bike uh e-bikes present i think is sizing um so a lot of the like models come in one size you know yeah. and they're somewhat adjustable but it's one size yeah so so what's gonna fit my five foot eleven son is not gonna fit my five foot five wife um, I mean, people will tell you it will, but you and I so both know that that's, yeah. That's right. That's right. So what I th- where I'm leaning right now is to a smaller e-bike that is adjustable up for him, sort of putting them both at their limits so that my wife could potentially uh, commute with this bike since we're, she's going to start going to the office again a few days a week. Um, but doesn't want to arrive a sweaty mess. Um, mm-hmm. 
or and and that's really the alternative usage to him using it to get to school and sports practices and things like that. And then, you know, at the outside, it would be something that I could put some some baskets on and run errands on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it bikes in my house are a lot like food. Mm-hmm. Once they're left over, only one person is really dealing with them. And it's me. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. 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 I follow you. Yeah. Uh, um, now. OK, so I, I've got to ask a, a different sort of question here. Um, uh, puberty. Yes. So so women in puberty are generally pretty well finished <laughs> with growing by the time they're 16. I'm sorry. You said you had one question, then you said the word <laughs> which is not a question, but I'm sorry, you're getting to your question. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. What yes, are the women, chances that your five foot 11, 16 year old has finished growing? Um, you know, maybe not. Yeah, very certainly. Probably, probably not. I mean, if he's already rude, what's it is surly before or after rude? Oh, he was always surly. He was surly from uh, the time he was like three foot seven. Um, So this is getting straight into churlish, I guess. Yeah, this is this is I just, you know, I knew that my boys would be both be taller than me. I just, you know, it rushed up and smacked me. And then he, he didn't even have the decency to be my height for more than about 10 minutes. He went he went right by me. Mm. And I have this thing like I was speaking of puberty. I was a late bloomer. So I was actually like the shortest guy in my class Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right up until about senior year. And so Mm -hmm. I have I have a little I'm five nine ish now, but I have this sort of like short guy complex. Mm. And so and so for him to, um, you know. So swiftly, yeah. So and now, you know, I stand in the kitchen next to him and he looks he looks down on me. Like he's only he's only two inches taller now, but he look he somehow manages to loom. Does he outweigh you? No. Oh not, well not at close. least there's that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I still <laughs> I still um he's gonna he's got some filling out to do. I think I still have thirty pounds on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was plagued by a similar issue in my growing up. I was in the the bottom quarter of my yeah. class height wise. Yeah. Going to an all boys school, yeah, makes that an especially uh, yeah. sore point. Which is what I did for the first uh, four 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 years of my life. Yeah, uh, and then my junior year. Uh, well, no, I started in my sophomore year. I started growing like crazy. Um, and in junior year, I was reasonably tall. And then by my senior year, I was in the tallest fifth of my class. Mm. Um, and I didn't stop growing until my sophomore year of college. Same. Yeah, same. I'm not six feet anymore, which I'm distinctly uh, uh, not pleased with right i I wouldn't know that except because i've been fitted for so many bicycles i know exactly how tall i am yeah which in the mornings is about 5 11 and a half and in the evenings is about 5 11 and a quarter right and my my spine is slightly scoliotic so if i actually had someone do lots of work on me i might return to my full six feet yeah i would invest that money personally i would (laughs) Yeah, I don't see that happening. No. Um, yeah, I've, I've got boys who are trying to eat 2000 calories a day. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So so you're still thinking um, about getting a bike that would start out as too small for him and he's still growing. Did I follow that one? Yeah, you 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 did. I mean, as we're even as we're articulating this, I'm thinking this is a terrible idea. You're you're going to like um, jack of all trades, master of none, this bike so that it's I mean, <laughs> you know, the the unintentional uh, mistake here is that it would end up being the right size for me. 
um, which is probably not cool. Probably not cool. We probably won't do that. I'm glad you talked me out of it. That was dumb. I, 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 I wasn't doing the math that the midpoint between your son and your wife is you. Right. I, hadn't, I hadn't really connected that dot. I, I was just trying to think about, well, it, it, mm, mm, not, well, not so great for her and mm, gonna, yeah. Mm, it's a gonna, little bit like when you, or when my son decides he's going to try the goat curry from the Indian menu and which is fine. You know, I want them to try all and everything, but, but in the back of my head, I think, well, I'm, I'll be eating that. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be mine. Yeah. That's going to be mine. And that's fine. I like goat curry. That's fine. I Maybe I don't want to ride a goat curry bike or maybe I do. I love goat curry bikes. I've had a few. (laughs) <laughs> I had a Moser 51151. That was a goat curry bike. <laughs> For sure. You know, it was kind of mildly exotic and not really appropriate for what I was doing with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you on a 51 is... Um, well, it was... Yeah. A, yeah. It's like putting your son on a 55. Well, no, it wasn't a 51. That was the model, 51-151. It was the bike that he set his hour record on. Oh, oh. Yeah. But, but also, <laughs> right, you know, right, I rode right, that right. bike in like 2010. And it, you know, it was current in like, I, I don't even know what year. It didn't make a lot of sense. You know, it was like a high performance bike from a time when high performance bikes weighed double <laughs> what they do now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Reagan bike. was in office when that was made. Yeah. Yeah. Go curry bike. It was, it was delicious and wonderful and just didn't make a ton of sense, but okay. <laughs> you were the only person who wanted I, it. I was the only one going to eat it, ride it, whatever it is that was going to happen. So maybe that's how I'm uh, approaching this bike thing. And I just shouldn't, I should refocus my energy directly on getting the best, most sensible thing for my son. Um, I, and just I'm, be grateful that I can get him a new bike. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good place to start and or finish. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by the Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, what's your poll this week? Well, I've got another listener question this week. This is from oh. Paul, just down the road in San Francisco. Okay. He's a roadie. And gravel rider and has decided he wants a mountain bike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's not sure what to buy. So he asked me my opinion. Yeah. So this isn't a brand issue, but a category issue. Yep. Broadly speaking, there are, I don't know, five-ish categories of mountain bikes on the market. You've got hardtails. You've got full suspension cross country. You've got trail bikes. You've got free ride, enduro. Some people think that's kind of all the same thing. Some people think it's two different bikes. And then you've got Mm. all out downhill bikes. Those are big buckets. But I can say as someone who really studies what's out there, uh, those lines get blurred. And there are other smaller buckets like the long travel 29er. Right. So I'll begin by saying that. I'm a big fan of 29 inch wheels, uh, kind of period. You know, I steer everyone in that direction for the simple reason that they roll over everything from roots to rocks more easily 
even when they aren't rolling over tricky terrain, Mm -hmm. they just plain roll faster. Yeah. Uh, Plus, bike companies have dialed in 29er geometry to a degree they hadn't 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can't knock those bikes as being sluggish handling. That was always the way they were slagged in the past. Yeah. Um, Also, for anyone who is moving into mountain biking from road and or gravel riding, we can eliminate a few categories of bikes right away, namely downhill, free ride, enduro. That's yeah. not, not where you start. No, no, no. Uh, you, you need clearance from the FAA. Yeah. Um, I think the average roadie transitions to a hardtail easier than any of the other bikes for sure. obvious reasons. Right. Um, there are even people out there riding hardtails with the rigid fork, which um, I have opinions about. <laughs> sure. Um, but there is another question that I tend to ask, uh, one that I do think is a good deal more interesting. Mm. And the question is, what sort of experience you want to have? And I mean, honestly, mm. this goes back to my days in retail. Somebody would walk sure. in. I want a bike. What do you want that day to look like? Um right. With this, it's, you know, are you just wanting to ride on services that are unpaved, but more treacherous than what you can take a gravel bike on, provided you already have one of those? Uh, Or do you want to have the flowy experience of cruising trails that makes mountain biking such a dopamine drenched charge? Right. Anytime I ask someone that question, the answer is pretty much always yes. People want the fun. Yeah. It's like when I used to ask people, uh, I'd say, oh, well, this is going to be faster than that. And they'd say, well, I'm not the fastest. And I said, yeah, but nobody is trying to go slower. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be racing to enjoy moving faster. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is uh, is exceptionally true. Yeah. And if you use the words flow and dopamine drenched, people, yeah, that's a, people want to do the do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So for that reason, those reasons, I steer people towards trail bike Mm. for anyone well versed in this stuff. I apologize while I catch everyone else up. So trail bikes being kind of the midpoint in mountain bike design, you know, relative to what the industry is offering generally fall between about 120 millimeters of travel front and rear up to about 140, maybe even 145 on some forks. Um, so once you're into 150, you know, you're really getting into the whole free ride enduro thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I love about trail bikes is how much they have changed over the last 10 years. They pedal more efficiently. They handle better at speed. They're more nimble in tight quarters and have enough suspension to handle most of what most riders will ever encounter. All of these things came about because of how people were riding and what they were riding. So this wasn't some engineer deciding, oh, we need to make the bikes this way. It's like, well, I keep crashing here. What can we do? Well, let's slacken out the head tube angle some. Right. Uh, I was was just thinking um, during your intro that I could have made a lot of money selling face insurance to people. (laughs) Uh, you know, new mountain bikers mm-hmm. uh, over the last 20 years. Like if you're if you're um, long, long travel, 29 er came with face insurance, uh, maybe to cover collarbones up. I oh, think that's, that been that's a, good. Yeah, that would have been a yeah. goer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, shoulder plates, too. Let's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of from. Yeah. From that general point. Nipples up. up? Maybe that's the business. You know, that's my card. Hi, I'm John from Nipples Up. I'd like to insure your face. <laughs> and everything within six inches of it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a business plan. You should go on Shark Tank. Yeah. You should definitely go on Shark yeah. Tank. I'd like to go. Yeah. I'd like to go on Shark Tank like, um, like that game, Two Truths and a Lie. Where, yes. you know, like people go and do real pitches and then every week I, I get to go on and do a fake pitch. Yeah, I I would watch that show. Yeah, I would watch that show. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah. Sorry. <laughs> back to the question at hand. The one yeah. caveat to all of this is that a huge chunk of the U.S. is reasonably flat, and there needs to be a fair amount of kinetic energy, put another way, speed, to get the suspension to do what it does, compress so that the tires stay on the ground for improved control. Given the trails that I grew up riding in Memphis uh, and will be riding next week, uh, I can't actually make a strong argument for more than about 100 millimeters of suspension travel. In most cases, a hard tail in, in a circumstance like that, it really is probably the better answer. Yeah. Um, so the perspective I'm offering is for people who will have descents that can be measured in hundreds of feet, not tens. Mm. Um, you know, John, how far do you have to go uh, before you run into terrain where you wish you had full suspension or, or do you? I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm the worst sort of mountain biker because I am a hardtail curmudgeon. Um, you know, for example, uh, here in new England, one of the big sort of one of the big meccas is kingdom trails in Vermont. Yeah. And they've got some pretty speed shoot style trails and I have ridden it on my hardtail right alongside my friends on dual suspension bikes and didn't really feel like I was given much up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a more, I don't want this to sound like I'm being macho. I think it's a more challenging experience, certainly on a, on a hard tail, you know, you're managing force uh, more, more vigorously, or at least yes. you hope you are. Um, but I like that. I really, I really like that. Um, it's not that I wouldn't enjoy uh, that stuff on a dual suspension bike, but there again, um, to me, the perfect middle of the road bike is probably the 120, 120. Uh, I guess it would be a cross country bike. Well, that's that's a trail bike. I mean, most cross country bikes are going to end 110, 115 at the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're splitting the hairs. As, sure. Well, as that's the they problem. Is they really they blur the hairs. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who rode 26 inch bikes, um, you know, in the 90s and then kind of let it go and wanted to come back to mm -hmm. mountain biking. Mm -hmm. And they came back and they were like, what even are mountain bikes anymore? Mm, yeah. You know, it, it is it is definitely a category that is unrecognizable from where it was even 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I joke that I'm not sure why I liked mountain biking back in the 1980s and 90s. I, I can't really imagine why I thought it was so great yeah. because I roll through stuff now that. So when I first moved up here six years ago, there were spots on certain trails where I would just get off and walk. Now, mm. I roll through them at speed now, but part of my problem was back then I still had these old tapes of riding 26 inch wheels in circumstances like that and winding up on the ground routinely, yeah, yeah. you know, just couldn't get through it, didn't have the skills you know, was on a bike, ill-suited to the task. Uh, yeah. And so I, I would just get off and walk through these things. And now that I understand what, uh, A, uh, what my wheels are capable of, B, what my tires are capable of, and C, what my suspension is capable of, I go flying through stuff that 25 years ago I would have been convinced would kill me. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I'm, I am, what I love best about mountain biking is obstacles. Mm -hmm. um, so I like a flow trail, you know, I like a bank turn. I, I enjoy, I enjoy it all. I love being in the woods. Um, but a log or a series of logs or a challenging rock garden, that's really what I love. And so a lot of times I, f I find a hardtail to be, um, the most sort of agile and responsive bike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really want to roll through those things, even if it would be easier, you know, like that's not really the experience I'm looking for, which is, I don't know, maybe I'm just broken. I think 
You are a um, robot. Yeah. Um, having said all that, I have ridden some really outstanding, you know, bikes kind of at the edge between cross country dual suspension bikes kind of on that edge that were pretty agile and really climbed well. And having said that, I think, you know, you really need to ride the bike and get a feel for it and and know that you're going to be able to throw it around the way you want to, because I have also ridden a lot of those bikes where, I just couldn't figure out how the hell to weight non-weight the thing. Mm. You know, like, yeah, yeah, that does change some. There are times when, you know, you, you keep your weight back a little bit more mm. uh, and you would be throwing your weight forward more with a hard tail going over some stuff. There are some things where the techniques definitely change. Right. Right. And I think, I think that's kind of the deal for me. Like I, I like a really, I, I guess it would be called a very progressive suspension so mm-hmm. that uh, the suspension isn't necessarily moving a ton and doing a lot of work for me. Um, I still want to be in charge of when the rear end comes off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, our friend uh, who is in San Francisco is likely going to be riding in Marin, we think. Yeah, that's going to be the go-to. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. down in Santa Cruz a little bit. Hopefully. Um, I mean, if he yeah. misses out on that, that's going to be a real shame. Uh, right. You know, he's a full hour closer to that than I am. Uh, right. But, you know, probably a lot of Mount Tam. So it's going to be right. uh, dusty, rocky, um, certainly very Fast. flowy. Yeah, yeah. Very flowy in spots. Um, yeah, I think, you know, like a... 130 125 bike 130 120 um you know because you're going to have if you're going to have more travel it's going to be in the fork than the rear suspension sure of course um and a bike like that there's very little you can't ride that's right i think that's right that is a good versatile bike i do my own personal take is i would just be careful not to get too much bike Um, you know, having been in bike shops and talked to shop guys, you know, they're pretty hot on more suspension, usually being better because they ride a different, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, they're not, there's more enduro guys in shops than trail guys. I think more cross, more enduro than cross country is what I'm trying to say. Very. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, I would just counsel our friend not to get more bike than he needs. And it, it, it'll be tough to know. But again, I think if you get that bike outside on a little demo ride and feel its agility and maneuverability, and if you've been riding gravel, right, you'll have a good sense of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly going to help. And, you know, one of the great things is the more you ride mountain bikes, the better your gravel biting, gravel riding skills get. Sure. Well, that that's, makes a, that's a big a, difference. That's a great point because I rode 26 inch bikes here at my local trails for years and years. And then I transitioned to 29er and the 29er makes a lot of them sort of ho-hum experiences. Uh, but if I ride that single track mm-hmm. uh, on my gravel bike, things get rowdy. I like yes. it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I could, if I lived where you live, I could see riding an awful lot of stuff on a gravel bike. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I definitely do. Um, and it's, you know, it, the challenge then becomes how long can your body absorb the, the washboard root systems, um, from the pines and the other shallow rooted stuff that's here. And, right. um, you know, it's not a matter of technique. It's it kind of becomes a matter of endurance. Yep. Yep, very true. Uh, I don't think anything has ever left me feeling as beat up at the end of an event as some of the gravel events I've done. Yeah. 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 I mean, the upside, of course, is that, um, you know, here we have relatively small trail systems. And so the style of riding we do is we ride a lot of single track connected by roads. So yeah. being on the gravel bike and being able to really fly through those road transitions and get back into trail is uh that's part of the magic 
Well, and that's one of the other things that I found so fascinating when I was out there last time was, you know, you'd be riding down some road and it would look like a normal residential neighborhood. And all of a sudden you were turning right between two houses and disappearing into the woods. And it's like, yeah, wait, how did, how, what, how? Yeah. Where I live too, you know, like the Western suburbs of Boston are very wealthy and yet at the same time, they've done a good job of land conservation Mm-hmm. And so you do end up like in the backyards of the very wealthy quite often. And I feel like a perverse, like I'm poaching someone's, it's like skating someone's pool when they're away at work during the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have that same sense of like, yeah, I'm in your backyard. And you just know they've got one hand on the phone. Uh, I mean, I really, <laughs> I shouldn't enjoy that. I'm too old to enjoy that, but I do. I, I, I get you. The the flumes uh, in the, the foothills, uh, you know, near like Auburn and whatnot, uh, out east of Sacramento, these there are these yeah. flumes that the uh, gold miners built and there are trails that run along them. And when I do the tour de Placer Roubaix, I get to ride those and you pass by an awful lot of backyards and you see people barbecuing and doing all sorts of stuff. It's uh, yeah. It's very interesting, you know, a yeah. little window. Yeah. And they can't like, run you I, off. <laughs> right. I, I really like the idea that, you know, that's public space. Nothing bothers me more. And I don't want to go off on a rant here because I can, but nothing bothers me more than when someone finds a beautiful place, buys it and then kicks everyone else out. I just don't think you, you know, like a beach, like, oh, this is a private beach. I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't. Yep. I'm not having that. That like yep. you own this stretch of the you just decided this is going to be yours. Yep. Uh, the common good. I'm going to sound more and more like a ranting socialist, and I'll I'll just stop. So we could move on to the picks. <laughs> yeah, let's do let's do that. Um. So this week, uh, well, again, I'm going to go back to a previous show. I think it might have been the first show we did together. Um. I talked about uh mountain biking in Wales mm-hmm. yeah, and what, what magic that was. And I threatened to wax rhapsodic on that topic in a later show and uh, welcome to the future. We're, we're there now. This is the show. So my, my pick is mountain biking in Wales. Um, I'm fully vaccinated now as are, as are you, right? So mm-hmm. travel yep. begins to be possible Again, yep. uh, I think it's booming, in fact, and and because it's booming, I'm not actually I'm actually not dying to get back into the into the game. Like I want to travel, but I don't really like crowds. I don't like being packed in and I don't I don't like dealing with all that. So maybe I'm going to put off international travel. If there's one thing that will get me back mm-hmm. uh, sooner rather than later, it'll be going to Wales to see my family and to shred what I think is the original Narnia. Ooh, yeah. So if you ask me where a great place to ride mountain bikes is, just to be clear, I'll tell you everywhere, pretty much everywhere. Even Florida is a great place to ride mountain bikes. Mm. I, I am a firm believer that every state in this country and all of the countries in Europe and beyond Africa, everywhere, I believe that everywhere has good mountain biking. I like your uh, your positivity there. Yeah, I can't think of a place. Monaco? I don't know. Uh, I'm 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 searching, but I bet you even in Monaco there are some cool trails that you would enjoy. I'm not but, sure there's much in Monaco that isn't paved, but please continue. Oh yeah, there's got to be. Anyway, <laughs> um, having said all that, Wales has this ruggedness and lushness that make it just a dream to ride. Uh, so many of their trails take you to places that look like Middle Earth. Oh. You know, where you're just like on a mountainside, but hey, here's a waterfall all of a sudden, and there's like some very old, very burly wooden bridge that goes over it. And I'm pretty sure there's orcs under there, so keep moving. Um. And on top of that, they have a very mature trail riding culture. Yeah. So Wales has the first um, trail center in the UK. 
um, uh, which is uh, Koida Brennan. And uh, they have throughout the country, I think they have four, maybe five national trail centers uh-huh. where you can where you can show up rent bikes they're mapped out they have like the full range of like here's some places you can go with family like when i last time i was there i took my my wife and kids to koida brennan and we rented bikes and we did the family loop and then the kids sat down with candy bars and i went out and did some of the um more challenging stuff and and i was so pleasantly surprised like these are very intentionally and well-designed trails mm-hmm. um that are that also manage to be like really in nature and don't feel like like you're just on at some mountain biking disney uh and there's you know there's restaurants at these places and it's the, the people are so friendly and welcoming. Like, I just can't think of, you know, if you're doing a family vacation or if you're doing like a solo trip where you really want to do some heavy stuff, mm-hmm. it's all there. And uh, I'm fortunate. My family live in a village in, in mid Wales. Uh, and from there, it's almost dead center in the country. You can get to all of these places within 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, so you could spend four or five days in Wales and hit like some very, very different systems like trails along the sea cliffs and trails in deep forest and then mountain trails and things through old slate quarries. And it's just a hidden gem. Wow. You the more you talk about it, the more it rises on my little uh, hierarchy of places I need to go. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've ridden Western Slick Rock and Colorado Mountain and California's OG stuff in Marin, as well as all this rocky, rooty mess here in New England. (laughs) But if a genie in a bottle offered to take me and my bike anywhere today, I'd go to Wits. That's that's really something. Yeah, I, you know, Maybe if I get something figured out where I have a little bit of a slush fun, you and I go do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we go, we'll stay with my family. I had this, I had this vision. So my family were all, um, dairy farmers, uh, in mid Wales. And there are, uh, farms like we still have a farm or two or three in the family. And, uh, I have kind of a vision because my dad's, uh, brothers have all retired from farming. I have this vision to turn one of the farms into like a mountain bike B and B. Um, you know, you get a van and you're literally 45 minutes in four different directions from these incredible places to, to, to ride. And, you know, if you loop in the trail runners, uh, you know, it's endless. And the thing, the other thing about Wales, I should say, so we went up to Coita Brennan, we spent the day, we had a great day, but the whole 45 minute drive back, there are trails leading out of every village. Mm. There's a guy, there's a guy who, um, runs a company called, uh, mountain bike Cymru. Cymru is the Welsh word for Wales. And that's uh, what, like 52 letters. Oh, no, no, no. It's just C-Y-M-R-U, Cymru. They, oh. Their pronunciations of the, some of the vowels are different. But um, And he does this great um, cross Wales mountain biking trip. It's two or three days. Uh, and it just follows Glendower's Way, which is this ancient uh, trail that goes from really the English border out to the coast. Um, wow. Yeah magic sounds it's also not as hot as other places you could go and maybe that's part of the charm for me (laughs) you're allowed your attraction that way yes you are okay but if you're out there and you're looking for you know you're set free by this thing and you have the sort of disposable income that you could travel at least put whales on your list no one there is paying me by the way i know this is cycling independent and everyone you know you that's not how we roll, but I just want to be clear. I'm not, this is not, I'm not in a promotional role. I've been there. I've ridden it. I'm just sharing the secret with you. But you do have a, a, a certain, uh, um, uh, bias. 
<laughs> I do have a bias. I do have a bias. But I like to think that, like, I love Wales and I think of it as home. I go there and I get to the family farm and I really feel like I'm home. However, my experience of mountain biking in Wales was really like going home and discovering Disney in your backyard. I didn't expect wow. it. I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I thought it would probably be good because mm-hmm. mountain biking is good. I, I'll, I'll go back to right. my first statement that everywhere is good to ride mountain bikes. But I got there and I was like, oh, it was a holy shit moment. Wow. It was really that like, oh, this too? Like this? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's my pick for the week. Uh, what, do, what, do you, what do you have for us? So in the past year or so, I think it's more like two years, actually, I've reviewed a number of sportful products uh, in part because they are so good. And honestly, in part because they aren't that well known here in the States. And I feel like people ought to have a better awareness of what it is they're doing. I've been very impressed with their bib shorts, especially as some of my favorite bibs on the market have been discontinued or changed in ways that make them... Mm, less to my mm. liking. Yeah. Um, so my pick this week is Sportful's Super Giara bib short. So at first look, they appear to be a reasonably normal pair of high quality bibs. But these are truly anything but normal, uh, whatever that is. In fact, I'd go so far as to call them quite possibly the best bibs for gravel riding that I've encountered. That says a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, first there's the fact that Sportful cuts the short, uh, from a really, uh, really durable knit, um, Mm. that is highly abrasion resistant. Um, I can confirm accidentally, not on purpose, that the fabric can take a licking. Uh, check last week's pace line for explication of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Landed on thigh. And after the bibs came out of the wash, I couldn't even see any sign that I'd hit the deck. Yeah. You know, normally there's that one little kind of rubby spot that looks a little furry. No, nothing like that. Um, Sportful also chose to go with a gravel specific pad. So it's a little thicker than their usual pad. Mm. And um, well, I'll get into that some other point. These bibs also feature pockets. There are two pockets on the back, uh, just below where the bibs attach to the shorts. Um, and they are cut in a really lightweight mesh so that they don't end up holding perspiration and making you all soggy. Mm. There is a third pocket and it's on the left leg down rather low for quick and easy access. Mm. Uh, unlike like some if you bibs, had some party drugs, you could put them right in there. Uh, yes, yes. Don't do drugs, um, people. You know, or, or the marbles you're going to play with later. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike some bibs, these actually have re- reflective hits on both legs down mm. low. So mm. the movement will be pretty obvious to uh, approaching drivers and anybody else. For a short, for bib shorts this good, I would expect them to be north of $200. They're only yeah. 180 yeah. Now, I know that's not small money. But for a pair of bibs this good, that price tag makes them one of the best values on the market. I mean, truly, there aren't even many companies that are making gravel specific bibs. You know, it's a fair question. What would go into that? Well, I submit the Super Giara is the the bib short you ought to make if you're going to make a gravel specific bib short. Yeah. So my full review will be on TCI. There will be a link in the show notes. Yeah, I I don't have this bib, but I do have a pair of their bibs um, with the handsome TCI logo on it. Mm. Uh, And I like them an awful lot. It's such good stuff. I I'm just amazed uh, at how good they are and how thin their distribution here in the U.S. is. Uh, I suppose for a lot of people, the best plan is just to go to their website and buy it straight off their website. Uh, Mm. I've certainly tipped a couple of local shops to them to try and help them get uh, better distribution. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, these guys, everything they do, they do super, super well. 
Um, and yeah. <laughs> these bibs are just another example of that. Alrighty, yeah. that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. We will be on hiatus next week as I'll be in Memphis visiting family and friends. Uh, we should be back the following week, provided I get off the plane and get my ducks in to sufficient rows. Um, yeah, uh, that'll be an adventure. Uh, a week, just me and my boys. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, hey, we've got good questions coming, so keep them coming. Uh, I love having great questions to answer. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Robot. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>